Today on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic that is a topic that a lot of guys really don't want to get into. Well, a lot of women don't want to get into it either, but especially when you look at what's happening in the culture right now, uh, a lot of men are having a hard time dealing with the facet that their lives are pretty lonely and they spend a lot of time in isolation and you don't really get the opportunity to uh, you know, uh, do something about it. Is there a biblical solution for the issue? Well, enter Derek Steele, who's an author. He's a filmmaker. He's the uh, writer of a great new book on this topic called The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Last Sacrament of Friendship. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I'm, for those who are watching on myhopenow.com right now, I've got my copy right here. Derek, uh, Derek Steele, I want to call you Derek Wolf. Derek Steele, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger. It's a real um, honor to be able to talk to you uh, on your show. Yeah, well, it's great to have you here, too, because loneliness, I mean, that's kind of the 800-pound gorilla in the room, isn't it? I mean, in terms of how many people are experiencing this. Talk about the work that you're doing to kind of, uh, you know, working with the Warriors Path Limited and the ministry work that you're doing, but talk about how bad the, the, the situation with loneliness is. I mean, it seems like it's pretty widespread. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. Um, it's shocking to me. And the reason I was able to even write this book from the beginning um, with integrity was because I have experienced something that most people don't get, which is a best friend that I've had since I was 12 years old. Um, mm, wow. And it's it's a deep, deep um, relationship. It's a spiritual relationship. As people find out when they read the book, it's been such a huge part of my life. But we, uh, David and I, find it very curious that when we uh, spend time with other people, it's a common question, um, is to ask about their friendships. Uh, we ask people, especially guys, and this is funny because often these, we're talking about men in ministry, we're talking about pastors. Sure. And after a certain age, um, you know, 30s and beyond, especially getting to your 40s, most men just give you a blank stare, like you have brought up Peter Pan or something. They really feel like uh, the friendship category is one that they jettisoned when they took on adult responsibility. Um, it's something of the past. They remember fondly their college days. Um, but it is amazing how rare it is to find somebody who has an answer to the question, who do you unload to on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. Who knows the ins and outs of your walk with God, your struggles in life. Um, the fact is we sort of relied on the hope that uh, your marriage is going to do all that. And I'm not a marriage expert, but I know that um, most people have fallen short of that particular fantasy that they were both going to fall in love and find a best friend for the rest of their life. Um, and even still, that's still too much to put on one person. So no, I, everywhere I go, I, I am shocked if I find somebody who has a good story, honestly, yeah. it's yeah. almost always, they are alone. They maybe go to a small group at church, but even there, they continue to hide. They continue to feel unsure that they can, um, share their deepest issues. And so so they continue to be alone in, in the most important places. You know, I mean, we're not alone on our Instagram and our Facebook and our TikTok, but, but those things, they're not doing it. In fact, right. they're exacerbating the issue because you think you're connected and then you wonder why this intense, deep um, hole is in you. Yeah, it really is a false sense of security when you think about it. And uh, Derek Steele with me today here on The Bottom Line. 
The book is called The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Lost Sacrament of Friendship. And we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. To be fair, Derek, there are a lot of Christian men who are listening to our conversation right now. And something tells me the friendship thing, you and I look like we're kind of contemporaries or Maybe I'm giving myself a little too much credit, as you can tell, since we're doing this of I hope now, too. And I, there's a lot of gray in that, uh, a lot of dust on the bottle, as I like to say. <laughs> um, the idea, though, that generationally, I look at my parents who are in the greatest generation. I look at even people in the baby boom generation who seem to have friends. But then somewhere around Generation X or the end of the baby boom, it seemed like men in particular took the step that said, look, I'm going to try to marry my best friend. I'm going to find a woman. She's going to be my best friend. We're going to get married. We're going to have kids. My kids are going to be my friends, you know, that type of stuff. I'm going to put everything I have into that. And then you hit 50, 55 or something like that. And you begin to realize, wait, your kids have their own lives. They have their own friends. Yeah. Your, your spouse probably has a lot of her own friends too. And you're standing there holding the bag going, wait, where'd everybody go? I mean, I don't want to oversimplify this and paint with a broad swath, but in the work that you're doing in ministry, especially with the warrior path, I mean, are you finding that this is a common story for a lot of guys? I am. I, I am absolutely finding that um, at every in every age bracket um, beyond college age, you find um, in different differing levels. I think the younger guys still have kept their connections for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But here, here's here's what it all comes down to. We are living in such a task oriented society mm. that um, your career is the dominant force in your life and right. being the dominant force in your life you just know that your friends are terminal your friendships are for a time and you're ready to jettison those the moment they get in the way of your next big move and the interesting thing is i love to tell this story that once c.s lewis was asked if he had any advice to give graduating seniors back when he was still working at oxford and cambridge and he said, yes, actually, he said, I would encourage you to let your fellowship be your guide. Get together with six guys, your favorite guys, get a flat in London, and then find your careers from there. Mm. Rather than letting the job market take you wherever, mm -hmm. yeah. say, my friends, we will keep our fellowship together, and then we will find work within the context of being faithful to each other right and that's just absolutely unheard of as far as i'm aware yeah in the, the way yeah. That we're living yeah in this day and age i mean when you think about guys who would have that kind of bond uh i realized that there are the uh what, my, my kids have an expression they call their their really close core friends the main hang group i mean these are the people that i mainly hang out with and and so they're the ones who do the thanksgivings together the holidays together wouldn't right. miss a birthday together take yeah. the trip you know someone's turning 30 and they want to go to new york let's all go to new york i mean that's what yeah. they do and it's yeah. kind of a commingling of guys and gals but when you see this especially for men and yeah. you talk about the sacrament of friendship i, I know that was not unintentional derek Steele. Yeah. talk about why you refer to friendship as a sacrament something we really need to do as christians yes well my understanding that sacraments are um conduits of God's grace into our life, and we understand ones like the sacrament of marriage. Yeah. Um, I believe that he set things up from the very beginning to offer us so much of the goodness that he has prepared for us through friendships, and that um, to live without them is to really have a big hole in what God is trying to communicate to you. Again, as C.S. Lewis makes clear, um, Creation is delegation. It's delegation. God continues. He continues to love us um, at a deep, 
personal level, but he's also set the world up in such a way that we are going to be loved and experience life through the things that he has created. And in that sense, um, his full intention was that these friendships were to be deep reservoirs to protect us from loneliness, um, to make us feel connected, um, to give us an, an adventure, um, not just an adventure to live, but an adventure to share. Mm how important that is for a guy's heart, even yeah. though it's been, it's, uh, there's a big lie there that the lone wolf is really the cool way to go. Right, right. Well, that's the American dream, right? You know, John Wayne, uh, make, yeah. self-made man and all that stuff. And, and unfortunately, some of those Hollywood myths and that mythology, and you know, as a filmmaker, I mean, there, there, are, there are certain things you put in front of people because that's what they want to see on the screen. That's that, that they want that Rambo type of experience saying, okay, if this is where I am, then you're relating to me versus what I think good storytelling is kind of a meeting the reader or the viewer in the movie case where they are and taking them further, you know, in terms of wanting to expand right. and, yeah. and do better. And you're sensing, Derek Steele, that uh, there's not a lot of that happening in culture right now. Well, I'm grateful that you wrote this book. It's called The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Lost Sacrament of Friendship by Derek Steele, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, to keep on talking about this most important subject and how we can do a better job of not only having friends, but being friends as well. More of my conversation with author Derek Steele in just a moment as the bottom line continues. When you're injured in an accident, you just want to be treated like a human being. But when you are denied what you need to make a quick and full recovery, it can feel dehumanizing. Stephanie Cover puts her clients total healing first, and that means fighting for a settlement that respects you as a human being. The insurance companies don't necessarily care about why you need a settlement, but they know that it means they will lose money. Stephanie will stand up for a dollar amount that values your life and the full process of your complete restoration. Even when the insurance companies are doing their best not to pay you, you have a leg up because Stephanie Covery used to work for those same insurance companies. Getting you well positioned for your full physical, financial, and spiritual recovery is Stephanie's goal in working with you. Save her number now or call 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Derek Steele is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Mark. She's the author of a fascinating new book called The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Lost Sacrament of Friendship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we'll be giving away a copy or at least one. Um, at the end of our conversation here today. Uh, Derek, we were talking during the break about something. I think it's kind of the 900-pound gorilla in the room, if some of the other things we've talked about have been the <laughs> proverbial 800-pound gorilla in the room. You mentioned something earlier. I want to circle back to it. You said, you know, there are a lot of guys who, in, in a situation like this, they're lonely now because they've gotten older, because they invested so much in their marriage and their family, which is not a bad thing, mm -hmm. that they didn't really take the childhood friend with them. And I know that you've had that experience, so have I where there's someone you've been in connection with for maybe 20 or 30 years, and then the job changes or you wind up moving. And next thing you know, you realize, hey, all we had in common was the fact that we saw each other at work or we were mm -hmm. at the same church together. We really didn't have that deep connection. Right. But my question is, when you browse through the titles on Amazon or stop by your Christian bookstore and you see so many, you know, so many different issues regarding Christian life that are dealt with, a book like The Last Lone Wolf really stands out because it seems like kind of an anomaly. Why do you think that is? 
Well, uh, I wish I knew why that was, um, but it was my motivation for writing because I love to write and I've written since college, uh, but finding something that I felt was in the gap, that was a place where we needed the defenses shored up more. This became obvious to me that this was a topic, it was so, so dear to my heart. Um, my relationship with my best friend is probably the most unique thing about my entire life's journey. The relationship we've had, um, and being able to being able to bring that to the forefront with real uh, integrity and and passion to say this is just not a subject that um, you know a passing subject I thought I'd write on today. It was it was really this this deep passion. I do not know why the church. Um, we've all we've told that all people in leadership, whether they're church or government, have always feared deep friendships mm -hmm. because the world, uh, all revolutions begin with people who are together in a deep, intimate way, sharing the sort of thoughts that they don't mm -hmm. share in public. Right. And that, that's how so many things are born. So many great things are born. Um, we could say Christianity was born from the fellowship of the 12. Um, and Jesus did that very intentionally. Yeah. But some bad things also, you know, rebellions and, and, and things have begun through um, friends finding one another, realizing that moment that C.S. Lewis always talks about where you say, where that aha moment where you say, oh, you feel the same thing, you see the same thing that I do. I thought I was alone in this. Mm -hmm. And immediately a deep friendship is born because you know each other's uh, inconsolable secret that you've never shared with somebody else. And, um, and I don't know if the church, uh, because it cannot be uh, organized, and as, as people in ministry, we love to organize. Right. We love to organize because we want to impact more people. Sure. Um, if your whole ministry was seven people, you could be deeply relational and deeply original in the way that you ministered. As soon as your ministry is 500 people, hmm. you have to start asking yourself, how do I make sure that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Brown down the street are really walking with God. And so we start to develop systems and organizations and programs. And, and the, some of those are necessary. But when the church decided that the program was actually better than the organic friendship, mm, yeah. I do not know. Mm -hmm. But that seems what you're addressing in this book, The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Lost Sacrament of Friendship is the fact that we do need each other. We're created for community, but more than just community of being around each other, more mm -hmm. than being in a, a Sunday school class of 20 or 30 people or a small group, Bible study, whatever it is, but really being authentic with each other, really knowing uh, e each other. And it seems like youth is the best time. I mean, in your case, age 12, I mean, and this is a lifelong friendship that has endured and endeared uh, throughout the, the, the decades talking with Derek Steele today here on The Bottom Line about his book called The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Last Sacrament of Friendship, which we have up at thebottomlineshow.com. Derek, give us some marching orders here for men and for women, but I know we're kind of talking about it man to man right now. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who are, are feeling the ache of realizing, hey, maybe I've had one or two good friends. I, I know for me in the past couple of years, I've had a couple of friends pass away and uh, people that I knew, and I didn't think I knew them that well. And then all of a sudden they're gone. And a, I got this major ache going, wow, Lord, I didn't realize how closely connected we actually were. 
where do we start? Either if we've lost friendships and we're trying to rebuild, or we aren't as fortunate as Derek Steele, you know, to have somebody who was, you know, a best friend at the age of 12. And here we are into our adult years and we're still best friends. Yeah. Well, you know, I, at the end of the book, I felt some pressure to give some real tips, um, as we often do in Christian books, some principles, some guidelines. And I realized um, that 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 was very hard for me to do just based on the style of book I was writing, which was much more uh, romantic and more epic. Mm-hmm. And um, I came to the conclusion that the most important thing that we could do is re-inspire uh, a belief and a desire for that sort of a friendship. And I encourage people to go back and read all the great old stories. Um, you know, I mean, that's what yeah. makes the Lord of the Rings what it is, is sure. the between Frodo and Sam. And once your heart is romanticized into an idea, just the same way the culture has made us think that falling in love would solve all of our all of our heart's needs over the years, once we realize that, it, it allows us, um, we're, we're looking again, we're on the look, we're on the hunt, um, we're open to developing these friendships. I think most people will find that those friendships are already there. They've just let them slide. And that's the easiest thing to do. The easiest step is to reach out, yeah. reach out to those college roommates to, um, I just returned from a, a college reunion and I won't say what year it is because that would <laughs> definitely date me, but um, it was fantastic. Mm. And uh, it wasn't even just the people that I was friends with back then. It was just the old, old familiar faces that we had so much in common, so much past history that we had a fantastic time. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And I I feel like a lot of people have those old friends that they've just sort of let slide and it wouldn't take too much to send them that message to say, I've really been thinking Mm -hmm. about you and I miss our friendship. You know, something, well, something else, Derek, toward that end, you mentioned college and my mom and dad went to uh, college here in Southern California. They were, uh, they and their friends were all in the teaching credential program at that time. And so they became good friends and stayed in touch. And I recalled that uh, when, uh, my dad had a, a friend who was, he was an only child. And so there was a guy in the group who was a couple years older than him. They were both named Warren, kind of unusual names, but they kind of struck up a friendship. And my dad really looked up to him. When the older Warren, my dad's friend passed away about five, six years ago, my parents were out of town. And so I went and kind of represented the family because we, we knew the family there. And when I got to the funeral, I was really surprised to see all these different pictures, pictures of my folks, along with these other people, things that they'd done in their later years. And the one regret that I had was that they really didn't share that with us, with my brother and sister, and oh. that we didn't see that modeled for us a little bit. Yeah. Better. And mm-hmm. talk about why the, the modeling, and this is something for parents and grandparents that we could do for the younger ones coming up behind us here too. Uh, it's not something we just instinctively want to do, but once we are doing it, you see that being modeled and you say, hey, I want that kind of relationship too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I've got a group of young guys I mentioned in the book, my filmmaker friends, they're in their 30s, and they come over about once a week to my house. Nice. And there, there's a tension, because I've still got four young children, <laughs> and they're all clamoring for my attention. Right. Um, and I feel like, to some extent, I'm ignoring them for those couple of hours that the guys are over. But I know that my boys especially are seeing that dad needs to spend time with his friends. 
mm-hmm. that this is deeply important to him, that they have deep conversations, that they really hash things out, that they see iron sharpening iron, but also a deep amount of pleasure just in being together. And I think that's vital. I think that's vital. I didn't see that in my family. My parents had moved far away from their friends when they came to the Detroit area. And um, and I didn't know that adults had friends, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very true. But when you, you made the comment earlier, Derek Steele, that uh, when you look at the Lord being very intentional about who he chose as his disciples and the little friend group it, with the core group, we'd call it within that group of 12 and then the, mm-hmm. the friendship group outside of that, uh, that's a model for us to say, you know, when you think right about it, there are some people who say, yeah, I've got to have my friends. I'm extroverted. I need to be around people. Other people might say I'm introverted and I don't want that many people hanging around me. But I think your title is very well stated when you talk about the last lone wolf and recovering the lost sacrament of friendship, mm-hmm. because it really is something I think that is sacredly ordained and inspired. Take the last 60 seconds of our time together, Derek Steele, and talk about your, your hope and desire for this project. Uh, you know, a book this time instead of one of the movies that you're typically making. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my dream is that this could get into the hands of especially young young men before they have made the choices that will shape the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. That they will sense that there is permission within the Christian worldview to um, make their friendships uh, a holy part of their life. Um and, and that uh, the church itself will get a hold of this and see that there is something better to attain to than just um, mere acquaintances spending time at someone's Bible study, but that this is intended to go to a much deeper level. And if it isn't, then we're really failing um, to build community. Yeah, yeah. Def- definitely a valuable resource and one that I highly recommend. And for our My Hope Now crowd, I'm holding it up. I think I got this all on camera. The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Last Lost Sacrament of Friendship by Derek Steele. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Derek, thank you so much for not only writing this book, but for being generous with your time today here on the program and uh, sharing with our listeners about your heart for this vital ministry. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Oh, thank you, Roger. Great resource and a great conversation today here on The Bottom Line. Derek Steele has been my guest. The book is called The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Lost Sacrament of Friendship. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book to give away right now, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you are in a situation right now where you're kind of feeling lonely, I mean, guys, girls it doesn't really matter it's amazing how many of us are trying to do the lone wolf syndrome and uh, Derek Steele writes about this in his new book how important it is to escape loneliness but do so in a way that first and foremost acknowledging that God did not create us for shallow relationships he didn't create us for quick hits on Instagram and Twitter and zoom chats and things like that he really did create us for relationship and this book will help you it's got nothing but five star ratings on amazon and i highly recommend it again the last lone wolf by Derek steele we've got one copy to give away today at 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line call dennis wilson and his team today Wilson Financial Services, honoring God and their clients by stewarding their money well. 800-696-9970. Just reviewed a client who put money into 3D Alternative versus leaving it in a bank. 
The results are in and they're fun. Savon Report, Bank Zero, God's Kingdom, two churches in Africa. I often wonder why God's people don't do a better job with stewarding God's money. And I personally think one of them is that they've never been told how or why they should be doing it. Maybe they never heard it's God's money and we're only to be the good stewards of it. But just for fun, this turned out Bank Zero, God's Kingdom, two churches in Africa. This isn't your money. This is God's money. And we want to show you how to be the best possible steward you can be. Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to author Derek Steele for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about his brand new book called The Last Lone Wolf. Uh, discovering the last art, or I should say recovering the lost sacrament of friendship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book they're giving away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, Derek is the, uh, he's a young adult pastor, he's a pastoral counselor and co-founder of a ministry to men committed to helping sharing the message of epic, alluring, adventuresome Christianity that ministry is called The Warrior's Path. And this book is going to be a natural for guys. I mean, this, but this is the time of year. Part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with Derek today is here we are getting into the holiday season. And this is the time when a lot of people are feeling kind of like lone wolves. Maybe this is not the time of year you look forward to because there's Thanksgiving holiday, there's Christmas holiday, there's New Year's, there's church gatherings, there's all sorts of things. And you're feeling painfully lonely. Can I offer a challenge to you? I think in the in the true biblical sense, we would call it an exhortation. This is a season when a lot of people are going to be experiencing loneliness for a lot of different reasons. It could be this is that first season when a loved one is not here anymore. This will be the first Thanksgiving without grandpa. This will be the first Christmas without mom or dad. And it's a challenging time for a lot of people. As we're coming out of the pandemic into endemic, we've got a whole new slate of elected officials coming in. And for us as Christians... We're also experiencing the fact that the world has turned further and further away from a godly influence. How do you find good godly friends, let alone keep them and have those relationships? It's enough to make you say, you know what, I'm good. I don't want any part of this anymore. Just Maranatha or Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, I'm good. And yet, you know, here's the thing. God has called us for such a time as this to live in the newness of life that he's given us. The fact that your sins and my sins have been forgiven is just powerful and beautiful and remarkable. And there are other brothers and sisters who need your friendship. They need your story. They need you to not just be an an Instagram, Twitter friend. I was looking at some video from last week's uh, Teal Carpet event uh, for The Chosen, which is now in theaters, and I encourage you to go see it, episodes one and two of season three. And these were two journalists who I know have worked together for many, many years, And they put a picture up of the two of them together on their social media page. And one of them wrote, it was so nice to meet you in person. And I thought to myself, wow, are we doing that with our relationship with our friends? And maybe worse, are we doing that in our relationship with God? Don't be the last lone wolf, or maybe you should be the last lone wolf. Let's recover the lost sacrament of friendship. Derek Steele's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. If you are just tuning in, uh, the program airs for 90 minutes every weekday, Monday through Friday, 3 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific time 
Uh, the tracks are lodged up on uh, thebottomlineshow.com through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, I think sometimes we wind up on Spotify. The National Crawford Roundtable Podcast is on Spotify. Um, but, you know, there you go. Um, the podcast tracks show up a little after the terrestrial radio release, so the best way to get the most immediate uh, Bottom Line Show coverage is to go to KBRT, AM 740, AM 1240 in Southern California, KCBC, AM 770 in, uh, well, Central Valley all throughout Northern California. And I, I never mentioned this, but I should. We have a low-power FM in Modesto, 94.7. So if you want to hear the Bottom Line Show in FM stereo, uh, you can hear that. Um, also, KLDC AM 1220 in Denver, Colorado. And uh, we do have a separate release that we make custom available just to our friends on KLTT, sister station of KLDC. They carry a half hour of the program from 130 to, or excuse me, 2.30 to 3 Mountain Time every week down AM 670. And uh, that carries all throughout the state. And we've got some Wyoming listeners who pick it up there too. Anyway, the reason I bring all that up is... This half hour, we're going to do something fun that does have kind of a Colorado contingent to it, but also a Bay Area feel to it as well. And by the way, if you were listening to half hour number one, uh, Derek Steele from uh, (laughs) Derek Steele, the author of the book, The Last Lone Wolf, I forgot his ministry name, The Warrior's Path. I don't know. Sorry, Derek, I forgot that. Uh, He's the co-founder of The Warrior's Path and the author of The Last Lone Wolf, Recovering the Lost Sacrament of Friendship. Uh, Nothing but five-star reviews at... uh, at Amazon, and we've got one copy we are fortunate enough to have to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, if you did not get a chance to hear the interview in the first, in the opening segments, uh, please go back to thebottomlineshow.com or rogermarsh.com after our terrestrial release is over today, and you can hear the uh, interview in its entirety. Um <laughs> We've got a jokester coming up in segment number two of this half hour. Um, his name is William Daniel, and he's written a fun book that will be perfect for the holiday season, especially if you have ever been subjected to sitting around the dinner table at Thanksgiving or Christmas or Christmas Eve, and someone wants to break the ice and tell a joke, but they just don't know very good jokes. Uh, William Daniel has written a book called You're Joking Me, and he's going to join me to talk about that coming up in the second segment here. First, though, speaking of the You're Joking Me line, Oh, did I mention Williams in the sixth grade? Yeah, okay. Um, Anyway, speaking of you're joking me, I don't know how many times I find myself using that line when I read the newspaper these days or when I read the online news stories. I just, I have to ask the question because now that Elon Musk bought Twitter, there are lots of different subheadings of Twitter. There's Republican Twitter, there's Democratic Twitter, there's Christian Twitter, there's African-American Twitter, there's Hispanic Twitter. Everyone just kind of takes these social media platforms, makes their own little silo of who they are interested in talking to, and then they mock other people in amazement that they, you know, Republicans are so dumb or Democrats are so, you know, whatever. Um, the story about the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, just keeps getting stranger and stranger if it weren't so tragic because it involves someone actually being physically attacked and sent to the hospital it would almost be comical uh you remember a couple of weeks ago uh, nancy pelosi the speaker of the house of representatives uh, up until uh, this last election now it looks like it's going to be kevin mccarthy of the uh, uh great central valley taking over the helm and uh, good decision i believe on the part of the gop who now has the majority in the house of representatives 
But every member of the House, every member of Congress has uh, Secret Service detail. They've got uh, security all around their homes in their different respective districts, and as well as having a place to stay, you know, in D.C. And uh, you remember the, the, the story involving David DePap, I believe it says. It's D-E, capital P-A-P-E. They've been calling him DePap. Uh, 42-year-old guy, Canadian, uh, who'd come to the U.S. illegally, has been here for many, many years. Um, has kind of a weird history about being an environmentalist and a nudist and, you know, just someone who's protesting a lot of stuff. The story we were told was he broke into the Pelosi mansion. Paul Pelosi was the only one home. He uh, threatened Mr. Pelosi. By the time police were called, um, they were arguing over there was a hammer involved. And David DePap took the hammer and struck Mr. Pelosi several times in the head and the arm, uh, sent him to the hospital with a fractured skull. He needed surgery. He's 82 years old. I mean, that's uh, th- th- no one should have to go through anything like that. And so it was a horrible story. And uh, many people were putting out the call for you know thoughts and prayers for the Pelosi family as they went through this. And so, uh, you know, the, the first thought was, well, great. They caught the guy, caught him red-handed. And now we can start, you know, getting to the, the heart of this. But then came the Freedom of Information requests. Um, can we get a copy of the uh, police report? No, no, we're keeping that confidential. Uh, okay, what about a mugshot of the attack? No, 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 no mugshots. San Francisco Police Department uh, has a policy that they don't want to defame anybody who's committed a crime by releasing their mugshot, which is code for saying if the person is a person of color, African-American, Hispanic, whatever, they don't want to stigmatize their case by insinuating that, well, there goes another one of those people who commit those crimes. Okay, I can almost understand that. But then there's the San Francisco District Attorney Office report of what happened. And then there's the FBI report, Justice Department, of what happened and what's happening to the messengers. Now, there are conflicting reports about what happened at the Pelosi home. On the one hand, you've got one report that says uh, that Paul Pelosi was bludgeoned, that this intruder smashed the front door window, came crashing into the home, attacked Mr. Pelosi with a hammer. Someone was able to call 911. When police arrived, they were both struggling for the hammer. And um, what was what was that one show? They both reached for the gun. Um, they, they were struggling for the hammer. And as the police were arriving on the scene, Mr. DePap grabbed the hammer from Mr. Pelosi, hit him on the head, and sent him to the hospital with a fractured skull. That is actually the version of the story that the FBI has been peddling. The version that the San Francisco DA's department had is different. Their version of the story, from what I've read, is that Mr. DePap came and broke the window of the front door of the Pelosi home. San Francisco police were contacted before it got to be too much of a problem by Mr. Pelosi, who allegedly called 911 from a bathroom in their home. It's an $8.4 million estate. It's a pretty big-sized house. When police arrived on the scene, Mr. Pelosi answered the door. There was no sign of scuffling. Mr. DePap was sitting on the couch or wherever he was inside the home. The hammer was there. Both men were there. But Mr. Pelosi, they, they specifically mentioned that he opened the door with his left hand. Now, not sure if he was wounded on the right hand, and that's why he's the left, or if he's a left-handed person. I don't know. But then... At one point, they, the hammer comes into play, and as the police were trying to take Mr. DePap into custody, he grabbed the hammer and hit Mr. Pelosi a couple times, and the injuries were sustained, so he went to the hospital. Now, you might be asking the question, okay, is there not any kind of security around the Pelosi home? That's a fair question. 
Secondly, with Mr. Pelosi by himself, 82-year-old man in an $8.4 million mansion that was huge, square footage-wise. Yeah. Um, then there was the issue of, well, the window and the front door was broken, but the glass was going outside as opposed to going inside. If you were to strike glass with a forward motion, I believe science would tell us that the motion would keep the glass pushing and continuing forward. So if someone hit the glass on the door and it was scattered all over the front of the uh, walkway, it would indicate that somebody inside used the hammer to hit the glass, not the outside. So it was not like he forced his way in with a hammer. And then there's the issue of Capitol Hill security who are watching all these surveillance cameras all the time who reportedly had no knowledge of the break-in at the Pelosi household, but did have the wherewithal to contact Mrs. Pelosi in her apartment in D.C. and say, there's been a break-in at your home. Your husband's in great peril. So there's some contradicting reports, right? So Miguel Almagar, who was a correspondent for NBC's Today Show, went on television, on the Today Show on November 4th, and he gave a report that was mirroring the report of the San Francisco DA's office. And when he gave that, uh, there's even part of the report that said, uh, in addition to breaking into the home, carrying out the attack with a hammer, allegedly he wanted to restrain Paul Pelosi so he could take a nap because once he knew that Nancy was going to be contacted and she would come back, then he wanted to have words with her, apparently. But here's the goofy thing about this. Miguel Almagor was suspended by NBC for giving the report that it turns out was literally taken from the pages, not of some red wave website, not some right wing conspiracy group, but from the San Francisco District Attorney's Office. So why did the FBI come in and change the DA's report? And why is no one getting to see the body cam footage from the police officers? You could bet uh, just as fast as you could say Ahmed Aubrey, they would want to see that stuff, right? Well, <laughs> put the article up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Our commitment is to give you the whole truth and nothing but the truth to so help us. God. All right. Well, the news is certainly no laughing matter, but humor, I believe, is definitely a part of God's economy. And on the other side of this break, a new aspiring author, you can no longer say perspiring because he has a book out, is going to make you laugh, especially during this holiday season. His name is William Daniel. He is a sixth grader, and he's the author of a brand new book called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. Give a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. William Daniel joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. Bless your children with the help you've always wanted to give them. Newport Bay Mortgage works with your unique circumstances to explain the benefits of a reverse mortgage in today's market. Act now and provide for your family in need by gifting them a fraction of the fruits of your labor. With Newport Bay Mortgage, you can clarify the advantages of a reverse mortgage in your specific situation with professional insights on the current market. Sharing the rewards of a reverse mortgage is a valuable act of service that helps your loved ones Establish valuable financial security for the future. Use the gift from your home to contribute towards God's work and plans by blessing your family in need with real financial help. Make up your mind today to make a difference in the lives of those who mean the most to you. Start by calling Newport Bay Mortgage at 714-741-8080. 714-741-8080. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse or NMLS 3329-59. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. 
Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a step back a little bit, catch our breath collectively, and maybe even let out a, a guffaw or do a little joking around a little bit. Uh, came across a, pub a publicity piece from an author by the name of William Daniel, who I was not familiar with his work up until this point. And then all of a sudden, I began to read this thing. I said, wait a minute, this is really great because this is a book of just jokes, collection of fun stories, puns, things like that. But the thing that makes it so unique is it comes from the perspective of kids telling the jokes as opposed to dads like me trying to tell the jokes too. William Daniel is a sixth grader. He's a World War II enthusiast and he's the author of a brand new book called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. William Daniel, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. First question I have to ask you, would your parents say that you're funny? I would, I would say that they think I'm funny because um, I, I do tell a lot of jokes around the dinner table. Yeah. Are you, the, are you the one in the family that has to keep things light because everything's a little too intense and you've got sister and mom and dad and you know that type of stuff and somebody has to cut the tension? Yep, that, that would most likely be me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, let's talk about the book because, I mean, it's one thing to say I know a lot of jokes. It's something else to say, how do we put all these jokes together and, you know, put it into book form? When did the idea for writing this book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid, actually come to fruition? Well, it came through during uh, quarantine, actually. Mm -hmm. um, my mom, also my agent, said that, hey, one day you could write a book, because um, she's done it in the past. She has experience. She's an agent. Uh, she knows how it works. So I thought, you know what, this would be great for me to share my jokes because that's what I love doing. Mm -hmm. And so the process begins of instead of just walking around and cracking up your sisters or annoying your mom and dad, you have to sit down like any writer does and say, wow, I have a job now. I mean, you're already a competitive gymnast. It's not like you don't have stuff to do. Uh, yeah. William Daniel, how, where, how did you, how much time did it take? Uh, how did you fit time into your schedule to put this all together? Was there anything that kind of surprised you about that process? Well, actually, um, it, it's interesting. It took me about a year and a half to come up with all the jokes. Mm -hmm. And how I did it was I basically anytime, or whether, whether it was uh, I'd be sitting down uh, eating breakfast, uh, waiting to go to school, and I'll come up with a joke, I kind of just came up with them on the spot, and then I would write them down. Um, but sometimes, you know, near the end, I had a few more jokes that I needed to come up with. And so I'd sit down and take a look around me and think of some jokes. I think this is great. William Daniel is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. Burst out laughing. It's part of the uh, that series. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I was drawn to this because I've heard it from my kids. And uh, I'm sure that you've showed it to your mom and dad too, especially the proverbial dad joke that just doesn't really land. I mean, we think they're funny. We think they're clever, but they're really not. Um, can you break off a couple of jokes for us, William? I mean, we, we, give us an idea of what we're in for when we get a hold of your book. Of course. Yeah. Um, this is one joke that I like. What is the best thing about a job designing barns? What is the best thing about a job designing barns? I don't know. What? It's stable. Oh no! Ouch! <laughs> that was <laughs> okay. Okay, fair enough. That's that's good. How about lay another one on me? Because I'm going to use all these on my kids over Thanksgiving. 
All right, all right. What or um, why was the pig mad at his computer? Why was the pig mad at his computer? I don't know why. He had spam mail. <laughs> okay, okay. Those are just two of the four hundred jokes and puns that you're going to find in this book by William Daniel. You're joking me. Jokes for kids by a kid, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. You had to. I mean, you not only have you've got two sisters, including your, one of your sisters. You guys are twins, right? I mean, so that I'm sure that's tons of fun to have a twin sister, same birthday, share everything. Hopefully, your parents don't dress you alike. <laughs> no, they don't. No. Good. That's good. Yeah. And you and you yeah. all have your own things that you do too. I mean, I mentioned you're a, a competitive gymnast. I mean, what about your sisters? Do they have other areas of life that they pursue as well? Um, both of my sisters are actually gymnasts as well. Um, okay. but my twin sister uh, is writing a book of her own. Really? Um, for teen. Yeah, it's for teen girls um, talking about friendships. Wow. Wow. Well, see, this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when mom is an agent and a publicist and she understands this world. And every time you talk to anybody, she'll say that would make a really great book. But isn't it encouraging? <laughs> yeah. Well, William, isn't it encouraging, though, because she does know the business to to know that your mom was shooting straight with you when she said, you know what? I think your jokes are funny and I think there's a market for this. This has got to be such a like a graduate level experience for you in terms of learning about the marketing, learning about the discipline of writing for how many kids see somebody on TV or hear a radio interview like this. And they think, wow, I could do that. You know, I mean, I think that would be uh, it, it would be tons of fun, but it is a lot of work. A year and a half, you said it took you to put all these jokes together. Year and a half. Yes. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, what, but what was the toughest part of it? I mean, because I'm sure at some point you're like, yeah, I know these jokes. Did you have a set number? Did Were you thinking it's got to be 200, 300, 400? What, what, what was your, because, uh, you know, the, the old adage is writing is never done. It's just due. So, you know, how did you know when you'd hit the right, you know, the sweet spot and this was going to be enough to publish as a book? Well, originally uh, the publisher told me kind of what they wanted uh, around 450 500 or some some number like that and so i would split it apart each day i would say okay this day i'm gonna try to come up with five jokes um the next day i'll come up with five jokes maybe the next day i'll come up with seven um i'll split it apart basically that's that was my whole system going into it mm -hmm. did you ever run the risk of uh, trying to develop something that really was kind of a stretch and you had to say you know what, I'm not going to do this. I mean, eventually, was it the publisher who determined which of these jokes was actually going to make to the press, or was it your family? Uh, was it your twin sister, by whom you are older, I think, for four or five minutes? I mean, so you get to lord that over her, that you're her big brother? Actually, I am the youngest. Oh, you're the youngest. <laughs> so I, I read that I, backwards. I okay, so she's older than no, you by five that's minutes. That's fine, that's fine. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, there, there were quite a few that I would just gonna kind of get stuck on, and I think... Yeah, I, I don't really see any way that this could carry on. Uh, sometimes I would come up with a joke in my head, mm -hmm. um, but when I said it out loud, it just did not sound right. And, of course, you know, I I was probably the first one to think, ooh, yeah, th this, won't, this won't make it in. Um, mm -hmm. But my family had a, a few that they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. Well, I'll they love another one. Yeah, they love you enough to tell you the truth, William, and I think that's great. Exactly. William Daniel, William Daniel is my guest today here on the Bottom Line, a sixth grader 
who is the author of a brand new book called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. A couple minutes left in our conversation, William. Uh, I'm thinking about this as, you know, family gatherings coming up. I mean, the book's out just in time for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and and this is a time when families are going to be together. And invariably, there's going to come that point where someone's going to want to crack a joke or just kind of break the ice on something like this. Talk about um, how we in the older set, I'm a grandpa, so I mean, I, I realized that these are jokes I would love to kind of swap out with my, my grandchildren as well. I know you wrote this yep. book for kids, and it's jokes for kids by a kid. How can we as parents and grandparents use this book, especially at uh, the holidays? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I wrote this book for kids because I know that kids need a good laugh, but, you know, so so do adults. Um, adults also need a good laugh. Um, and a good way to use this is maybe sit around in a circle or maybe uh, during holiday dinners or something, mm-hmm. maybe just read out a few jokes and see what people think. Yeah, you know, I, I like that because it's way better than talking about politics because, you know, that just that yeah. that drives families apart. I'd much rather say, well, let's see, there's 10 of us here. There's 400 jokes in here. Let's go around, find your favorite and and see. Now, do you give I have to ask this, too, because, you know, people and I know people too, William Daniel, who don't have a funny bone. And so when they do try to tell a joke or something like that, they just don't do it i'm trying to be polite but okay they stink at it right they're just really bad yeah, joke yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. did you have do you have like a style page at the back a little epilogue here's how the best way to actually tell these jokes because if someone says hey what happens when a pony gets hoarse and they sing no wait oh wait let me try that one again um you know they they mess up they, they just can't tell a joke to save their life do you offer any style uh suggestions as well william daniel um <laughs> Yeah, that's that's funny. Um, I don't have a section. Um, maybe maybe in book two, I'll add. There you go. See, um, no, but that's I would say that's what I like to hear. You're joking me. Book two is already in the works. He's already thinking about this, and he'll come up with a style yep, section. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Ever the marketer. I think that's great. Hey, tell us about your uh, your uh, your competitive gymnastics. I mean, it sounds like it's a lot of fun. Uh, what events do you compete in and where do you see that taking you right now? I mean, you're in sixth grade. It's kind of fun, but are you heading for college and the Olympics with that? Um, you know, I'm not really sure how far I'm going to get in gymnastics. Um, it's so far, you know, I'm, I'm liking it. It's, it's really fun. I do compete all six events, uh, floor, high bar, parallel bars, pommel horse, uh, rings and, um, (laughs) vaults. Mm-hmm. Those are mm-hmm. the the main six that you do in men's gymnastics. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows? If the writing thing uh, takes off and goes well, then perhaps the gymnastics will have to take a back seat. But until then, it is possible, ladies and gentlemen, for our kids and grandkids to do lots of things when they're growing up, try different things, whether it's athletic or artistic, and uh, and have a very well-rounded and complete life in the process. William Daniel, uh, the sixth grader, who is the author of the brand new book called You're Joking Me. Jokes for Kids by a Kid. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. William, congratulations on the book, and thank you so much for spending time with us today here on The Bottom Line. Yep. Thank you. Well, all right, young men. We're looking forward to seeing how our listeners respond to this offer for the book. 
I've got a copy of William Daniels' book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid, perfect for you to use with your grandkids or your kids. Uh, Give us a call. Teresa and Crystal are standing by. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We have one copy of William Daniels' book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Sixth Grader. (laughs) 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Over the weekend, I did a little math, and I want to thank you as a bottom line listener for the way that you have stepped up to help our friends at Preborn save babies' lives. Now, when we started this campaign back in the first part of October, our goal was to save 400 children by Christmas Day. And you have stepped up in a huge way. But I didn't think that we would also have the opportunity to provide that kind of sponsorship and put an ultrasound machine in. An ultrasound machine lasts about 10 years. It provides 250 ultrasounds per year, which means it's going to save about 2,500 babies' lives over the course of that 10-year period. Ultrasound machine costs $15,000. So far, because of your generosity, you've helped us raise enough money to place an ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and have provided ultrasounds for 229 kids. We're about 171 away from that stated goal, and I know we can do it. Can you give a $280 donation right now to save 10 more babies' lives? 833-850-BABY is the number to call, or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner. Go to thebottomlineshow.com, go to rogermarsh.com, click on the preborn banner. It takes about 30 seconds to save the life of a baby. Go to preborn and save babies' lives today. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to William Daniel, who now holds the distinction of being the youngest ever guest I've interviewed here on The Bottom Line Show. I think No, I take that back. Second youngest. The kid who was the star of the movie Believe. Uh, he was like six or seven. Um, anyway, William's a sixth grader, and he's the author. Of, he's the youngest author we've ever interviewed, that's for sure. The book is called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid, perfect for the holiday season uh, all the jo- all 400 jokes are clean and fun and uh, we've got a copy of the book to give away right now the link is up at the bottom line show.com by the way 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line uh, two books we've given away this hour not only you're joking me by william daniel but also the last lone wolf by Derek Steele. uh cutting off the giveaways at the top of the hour here, so this is your last chance to get your call in. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. By the way, uh, for our listeners on KLDC, this coming Friday, the 25th, Black Friday, uh, William Daniel is going to be making an appearance at the Barnes & Noble in Colorado Springs on Briargate. Um, between noon and I think 2, possibly 3 p.m. So I wanted to give you this heads up now. You can go meet William. If you buy a copy of the book, he'll be happy to sign it for you. Get a picture. And by all means, if you do, please let us know here at the Bottom Line Show. We'd love to get it up on our socials. Okay, so William Daniel going to be appearing at the Barnes & Noble in Colorado Springs this Friday, Black Friday, signing copies of his book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. We'll take a quick break here for our KCBC audience. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon with Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus. For those who remain on the network, we have a special treat for you, a little analysis, balance, and uh, clarity uh, segment about what it was talking about earlier with regard to the news and why the news reporting has become so suspicious in this country and what exactly is a news desert. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
Well, welcome to the Bottom Line Show, or welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I say this for this final half hour because this is drive time for a lot of folks. It's that 5 to 5.30 slot in Colorado. It's that 4 to 4.30 slot in Southern California. And we hear from a lot of people who say, hey, I love listening to your show. I wish I could listen to more of it, but uh, I don't because I listen in the car. And (laughs) quite frankly, I don't blame you. I mean, I love listening to the radio in the car. I love listening to digital radio, satellite radio. Uh, I'll pull stuff up on my phone. Um, I, I try to listen to. As a matter of fact, I, I kind of like listen. I lis- like listening to the Bottom Line Show on our different affiliates. Sometimes I'll pull up KCBC and listen to it in the car, or I'll, um, I'll pull up KLDC or KLTT and get a chance to to hear what it sounds like. I'm just I'm that guy, right? But I know there are people who are saying, I I like listening in the car on the way home, and I love the fact that I can listen to the Bottom Line on the way home from work. I wish I could listen to more of the show, but I know what they're not saying is I wish I could be in traffic longer. That would, <laughs> Nobody wants that. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. One of the things, uh, comments that we get from our bottom line show listeners uh, is, well, a couple things. And first, I do want to say thank you to Derek Steele and William Daniel, our authors who've been with us for today's program. Uh, Derek, The Last Lone Wolf, the story about recovering the the Lost fr- Sacrament of Friendship. That book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And if you want information on how you can get a copy, you can call us. Or William Daniels' book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. Um, both of those books up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you want more information about them, call 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, I hear this a lot. We see this a lot in the comments. When people do call us or they send us an email or sometimes we do, I get handwritten letters. I mean, I'll, I'll get Christmas cards this year from bottom line listeners and I appreciate every one of them. Um, what I do hear from people though a lot is, wow, I like listening to the bottom line show because you talk about, first of all, a lot of different types of topics, which we do our level best to do. Um, we could very easily be that program where I just come in and say, hey, here's a hot topic. What do you think? Hey, here's a hot topic. What do you think? And we try to keep the program as interactive as we can. Obviously, you love to give out the phone number and have people call in for thoughts, comments, or you know, giveaways. But rather than just kind of become a public opinion poll, I, I really do scan. I'm looking at 30 open tabs on my computer. <laughs> I really just try to scan and find out where we in uh, the body of Christ are kind of interested and and try to find some things, maybe mine a few nuggets that you don't hear anywhere else. Now, I'm not going to lie. I was having this conversation with my dad. Uh, Both my parents spent some time uh, recently in in hospital, as they'd say in England. And one of the reasons why he doesn't watch a lot of television in the hospital is he said, if you get stuck on a news network, say a CNN, MSNBC, they typically cover the same three or four stories over and over and over and over again. And I try to be very mindful of that. I know there are certain things like Donald Trump announces presidency. Well, yeah, I mean, that, we knew that was coming. It was just a question of what day. Um, you know, there's going to be a special investigation. Merrick Garland wants to go after Donald Trump again. You know, th- those stories are everywhere, and I get that. And t- chances are, I mean, from what we've seen in our research, as a bottom line listener, you have multiple sources for where you get your information. And I think that's great, just as you you like to listen to different Bible teachers, which is fantastic. I mean, everybody has their favorite or maybe their pastor at their church is the one that they really lean on. But I do believe, honestly, that uh, it's to our benefit to be 
Christians who can kind of, I don't want to say reach across the aisle, but sit down with people of other different persuasions and backgrounds and have a conversation without necessarily losing our minds. And toward that end, I think it's so important in the current internet era that we live in to take advantage of as many different sources as we can. I mean, one of the reasons why you see with the Bottom Line Show are uh, we, we live by what we call the ABCs, analysis, balance, and clarity. And those lead to D, discernment, E, edification, and then F, of greater faith. Analysis, I mean, I've talked about this before, but analysis simply means that you take a look at a story and you see as many different aspects of the story as you possibly can. So you don't just read a headline that says, so and so is going to jail, and go, wow, so and so is going to jail. And then you don't think anything of it. Well, why are they going to jail? What were they accused of? How did the trial work? Who offered a defense? What was admissible in court? What was not admissible in court? I mean, there's certain ways you just kind of keep unpacking and unpeeling that onion until you do the analysis with balance. That's another thing that I can't, man, I can't stress that enough. I mean, we have become so tribal and so polarized in this country, thanks to, sarcasm intended, thanks to social media, that it is conceivable that you can spend your entire day, week, month, and year, and really now you're almost your entire life and not know how other people really feel. You would be surprised. George Barnes is going to join me after Thanksgiving. He's done his American Value Study update. Uh, they conducted the American Value Study. They kind of do it all throughout the course of the year. There's one main study that's commissioned, and then they'll do like little sub-commissions on this one. We're going to take a look at the, kind of an elections post-mortem. And whereas a lot of people are looking at, well, who won and who lost, and that's the most important thing. I got to tell you, in the body of Christ, we really do ourselves a disservice if we only try to pin it down to wins and losses. I'm not suggesting that style points are important. I mean, this is where my accounting background takes over. If you're a CPA, you can totally understand this. I remember taking those basic accounting courses at Cal State University Fullerton back in the 1980s, and I was pleasantly surprised when I found out that in you're taking cost accounting and accounting for government businesses and uh, basic and intermediate and advanced accounting. You're taking all these different courses. And oftentimes when you had to solve an issue, like there's a balance sheet entry that's not right, blah, blah, blah. Here's where the you know, everything's going. And you have to try to run a little rabbit trail of sorts to generate the, you know, here's how the, here's how you balance the books. And I was pleasantly surprised to find out the first time I took an exam in one of my basic accounting courses, I didn't do that well on the exam, but I got a ton of partial credit. And my instructor explained to us that, look, this might be worth 20 points. I'm not going to give you all 20 points just because you got the right answer. I need to see that you know how to get to there. It's kind of like uh, taking geometry, if you remember geometry back in high school. Remember the proof? Oh, man, I... I did not care for geometry at all. I was a really good algebra student and math student, A's and all that. Actually thought about wanting to be a math teacher, A in calculus. I mean, that that was, I, I really liked the numbers. Geometry was a hard C plus. I mean, it was really tough. And a lot of the times it was tough because you'd look at these shapes and forms and then there was these different theories and theorems that go along with them. And then remember, you've got to got to know the angles of the degrees and the lines and which ones are parallel and which ones are, you know, whatever. And then you had to write out a proof. You could do the first step because of this proof. And then the second step was based on the first one. And you had the left column, which is here's what I did, and the right column, which is here's why I did it. And I think that's missing in the modern dialogue today. 
it's missing in the church. I mean, it really, we come down to a God said it, I believe it, that settles it mentality, but we can't really explain it. And so you, you wind up alienating entire swaths of people simply by saying, your lifestyle is sin, therefore you're going to go to hell, you're going to be condemned if you don't repent. So you need to repent and let God love you, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, the world says, oh yeah, well watch me. And they live 40, 50, 60, 70 years of life without ever having any really serious damage or heartache or problem. They make a good living and they go, yeah, your God doesn't make any sense to me. I think when we literally uh, present the gospel as a beggar who's showing another beggar where to find bread, where we take on the responsibility of saying, hey, look, Jesus was Ephesians 2 and very, being in very nature God did not make that something that he aspired to. He took on the role of a servant, even though he was walking the earth, fully God and fully man. So we shouldn't be walking around going, hey, I'm Reverend Dr. Blah, blah, blah. And look at me and we've got all these great things at our church and look at us go. But rather saying, hey, man, I know what it's like to wrestle with sin, with temptation, to really struggle with it. I mean, nowadays, how many kids would be drawn more to the gospel if they heard a pastor say, you know what? You'd say that you're having gender identity issues. I know how that feels. Wow, you know how that, like, really? Are you sure? Because the last church I went to, I told them that I had gender identity issues and they told me to go to hell and get out of here, fix it, and then come back to our church. Now, I know that sounds a little extreme, but let's face it. We've seen that happen with women who are post-abortive who feel like they don't belong in a church because they had an abortion and the church is, well, abortion is the unforgivable sin. And I mean, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. Everything else, it's forgivable with a contrite heart, with the right relationship with God. So where are we going with this ABC segment? Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, this is something I read about in Publishers Daily. And it's an issue that the internet has kind of created, but it's also an issue of supply and demand and market economies. Newspapers have been published for years. News stations, radio, television, and the internet have existed because advertisers support them. As a matter of fact, we're about to take a commercial break where you'll hear from one of our advertisers. And then, <laughs> so that's, you know, the, the news has to make money, but it also has to be news. Of late, there's been a big concern in the world of uh, economics and food about people who are suffering because they're not getting enough to eat. And there are things that are known, places that are known as food deserts, where there just aren't enough restaurants, there aren't enough supermarkets, there aren't not enough fresh fruit, not enough uh, vegetables, not enough good proteins and things like that for people to, to live on. There might be a bunch of fast food restaurants, but that's about it desert of food the food desert means there's no place to get good nutritious food a food swamp is a place where all the choices are basically terrible i the aforementioned greasy fast food or the you know the the only place you can get any kind of food products is at a convenience store that's not designed to be a supermarket they might have a couple of you know bread and milk and things like that but i mean for the most part it's tobacco and lottery tickets right i mean that, that's not where their that their strength is well, now Publishers Daily reports that a number of news executives say we've got a big problem, and the problem is we have news deserts. Fewer and fewer 
communities are being served by local newspapers and local radio and television stations that are providing the news of what's actually going on in their world. And so they're kind of taking the hysterical stories from the mainstream media and kind of applying them to their own neighborhoods and forgetting the fact, as I mentioned before, George Barna's American Values Survey indicates that nearly 80% of Americans pretty much have the same values when it comes to family and faith and their love of country. You wouldn't know it by looking at mainstream media, but the local media is where you find this out. I want to talk about what the recent study by Publishers Daily and Publishers Weekly has to say about the food desert phenomenon now hitting the news industry. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive 6% CD alternative. This unique real estate-backed investment has continued to perform exceptionally well in good times and in bad. I just reviewed a client file, and it really felt bad because in reviewing the file, I realized that if they had followed the advice they had received, if they'd have put the money in the CD alternative, as I had recommended, they would have earned enough to build a church in Africa. Instead, the money is still in the bank, earning nothing but dust. I realized how important it is to know it's God's money, and we're just a good steward of it. One simple idea on the CD alternative would build a church in Africa. Honoring God and their clients by stewarding their money well. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, We do cover the news as much as we, I think, uh, safely can. Uh, Doing a a fair, incredible job. This is not a news station. Uh, We are, of course... uh, God and country. We are committed to sharing the truth of the gospel, and we do like to talk about what's happening in the world. But it's interesting. I mean, I was having a conversation with uh, one of my daughters last week. Daughter Kaylee was on her way to an event where she was actually one of the speakers at something she's doing for her graduate work. And I was discussing the phenomenon of the election. She's uh, all, the, all of our kids, Lisa and I have six kids. They're all either millennial or Generation Z. We have, let's see, we have three of whom are married three daughters who are married, have a couple of sons who are not. Um, and, you know, it's amazing how when you see what they're all going through at different life stages, how they go through different attitudes in terms of being more liberal or more conservative or whatever. All the married parents are pretty conservative. <laughs> and, and the others are coming along as well. It's interesting how all of a sudden when you have those regular responsibilities, you do become that way. But I was sharing with Kaylee the odd phenomenon of the last election. I said, isn't it interesting how Generation Z and the millennial generation are far more likely to embrace socialism and even communism if you don't tell them it's socialism and communism. If you tell them it's community sharing and you know spreading the wealth and that type of thing, then they, they love that type of stuff. But at the same time, that they are so willing to basically give up their constitutional republic in favor of socialism when it comes to money and even government intervention, at the same time, what was the big pitch from the left to Democrats and get, that energized young women to vote? They're taking away your constitutional rights. Our democracy is at risk. That was the pitch they made with regard to abortion. Because Roe versus Wade was overturned, who cares to them on the left if the fact that Roe versus Wade was overturned was actually a course correction? No rights were taken away. Rather, the high court was acknowledging that what the court did in, on the 22nd of January, 1973, was they invented a right. Well, this right to privacy thing, it's kind of a First Amendment, kind of a 14th Amendment, so therefore there should be a right to abortion. 
That didn't exist in the Constitution. So a lot of people have spent their whole lifetimes, you know, almost 50 years thinking we have a constitutional right to abortion. When I really, whether I was in favor of it or not, as far as I can tell from legal analysts, it's not there. And so the Dobbs versus Jackson case was literally just kind of correcting, you know, course correcting, saying, hey, look, Roe versus Wade was passed because of the Supreme Court's belief that this was a constitutional right. It ain't in there. And so we're going to course correct. Now, if the states want to pass laws, and three of them did, California, Colorado, Vermont, all passed literally Proposition 1, Proposal 3, and Proposal 5 for those three states, which now codifies abortion into law, which means it is now legal. They'll tell you this is about women's access to health care. California now has made it legal by constitutional edict that will probably never be overturned until Jesus comes back that a woman can legally kill her child. She could be in labor, having contractions, on her way to the hospital, and they'll literally say, do you want labor and delivery or a DNC? I mean, and either choice would be legally viable. I would be willing. I mean, I would, I would stand in a long line <laughs> to wait a long, I wouldn't say I would pay anything, to talk to an abortionist who has the courage to kill a child who's being delivered because mom decided she doesn't want to be a mother anymore. Rather than have that doctor, there's nothing in this law that requires the doctor to tell mom about adoption options. The only legal requirement is if mom says, I want an abortion, the doctor is now bound to kill that child. Or if they attempt to do an abortion, and this is more likely, they attempt an abortion on a child like Janet Jessen, Melissa Oden, some very famous pro-life speakers who've had this situation, what will happen is if they try the abortion and the abortion fails, they now have no legal obligation to administer any kind of health care to that child. That child could die on the gurney and no one would be responsible for the death. You wonder why I'm so passionate about preborn? <laughs> That's the reason why. Man, an ultrasound changes the whole game. And let's, this Thanksgiving, if you are grateful for your kids and grateful for your grandkids, I want to challenge you. I have six children and four grandchildren, and you can bet that there's going to be a donation from the marshes to preborn. For $280, that covers the cost of ultrasounds for 10 different pregnancies. 83% of those pregnancies will wind up in either a, a adoption or a natural childbirth, statistically. Will you make the same challenge for your kids and your grandkids? 833-850-2229, 833-850-BABY, or go to kbrightradio.com or therogermarsh.com, click the preborn banner that's there. Okay, back to the news. Local news, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, I delivered newspapers, you read newspapers. It's amazing how many people in the English-speaking news and publishing world say that there's a problem with not people not getting enough local news to find out what in the world's going on. Because the national stories are important, but you would believe, you would think, based on the way the national stories are reported and the way your neighbors act about them, that everybody in the world is dealing with the problems that you hear about on the national news. According to a survey, the Local News Deserts Survey Fact Sheet, this comes from an organization called Press Reader, 25% of people say they are increasingly significant, significantly uh, negatively affected by the news desert. In other words, I live in a community. It's a big-sized town. There's not one local newspaper. There's not one local television station. There's not one local radio station doing anything local. 
25% say that this is increasingly significant. 60% say it is a problem. Only 15% of the survey say that there is no issue here. And yet what's interesting, 45% of the people surveyed believe that access to local news has decreased over the past decade. 50% are pessimistic about the industry's ability to reverse the problem. But check this out. 86% of Americans surveyed by the Publishing Daily and the Local News Desert Survey Report fact sheet, pressreader.com. 86% of Americans agree that having a local presence with a newscast, whether it be radio like ours or television or print, 86% believe that it's vital to a democracy. So who's to blame and what are the solutions? What role does big tech have in this? Well, how optimistic are we that we would fix the problem in the first place? We'll talk about that on the other side of this break because the bottom line continues. Over the weekend, I did a little math, and I want to thank you as a bottom line listener for the way that you have stepped up to help our friends at Preborn save babies' lives. Now, when we started this campaign back in the first part of October, our goal was to save 400 children by Christmas Day, and you have stepped up in a huge way. But I didn't think that we would also have the opportunity to provide that kind of sponsorship and put an ultrasound machine in. An ultrasound machine lasts about 10 years. It provides 250 ultrasounds per year, which means it's going to save about 2,500 babies' lives over the course of that 10-year period. Ultrasound machine costs $15,000. So far, because of your generosity, you've helped us raise enough money to place an ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and have provided ultrasounds for 229 kids. We're about 171 away from that stated goal, and I know we can do it. Can you give a $280 donation right now to save 10 more babies' lives? 833-850-BABY is the number to call, or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner. Go to thebottomlineshow.com, go to rogermarsh.com, click on the preborn banner. It takes about 30 seconds to save the life of a baby. Go to preborn and save babies' lives today. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. A couple days before Thanksgiving, so grateful, so thankful for everyone who listens to our program and also for our fantastic sponsors of the program as well. It is wonderful to be and have a local voice. Now, I realize that you might say, well, Roger, you're in Southern California and I'm in Boulder, Colorado. How, how are you a local voice? Well, I may not be living in your neighborhood if you're in Colorado, uh, but I am on your local radio station. And that's something that Crawford Broadcasting is fiercely committed to. Pressreader.com conducted a survey recently regarding what is called the news desert. It's kind of like a food desert. If you go into a town and you don't see a lot of restaurant options, you don't see a lot of uh, supermarkets around, at least the ones that serve healthy food, if the only place you can get things like, you know, staples like uh, bread, cereal, milk, stuff like that. Um, If you can only find that at the local convenience store right next to the tobacco and lottery tickets, well, you know, that, that would be considered a food desert. A food swamp is when you have just lousy choices. I'm not saying fast food restaurants are all bad. People like In-N-Out, Chick-fil-A, but you can't make a diet of that every day. And so that's the food swamp. Well, in the news industry, a news swamp would be, you know, all these people on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and whatever who are out there doing my version of the news. And it's really more entertainment than anything else. A news desert is what happens if you don't have a local presence. Like, I mean, think of us. Uh, bottom line show as your local radio station because we are and trust me <laughs> if i look at the communities we reach 
it's nice to hear from Denver. It's nice to hear from San Francisco, L.A., Riverside, San Diego. But it's also nice to hear from Crow's Landing. It's also nice to hear from Eureka. You know, it's nice to hear from, so, hey, it's nice to hear from Laramie, right, in Wyoming. We do have that local imprint. I mentioned before the break that 50% of those surveyed are pessimistic about the industry's ability to reverse this problem of the news desert, not having local sources that are credible. Everything's just big industry. 64.6% feel that big tech has had a negative impact on the news. But at the same time, 23% say it's having a positive impact. 42.5% are optimistic that technology can help journalists remain independent. And if 86% of Americans believe that local news is vital to a healthy and thriving democracy, then may we present ourselves to you as the local exhibit. Bottom Line Show originates from KBRT, which is licensed to coast the city of Costa Mesa. You will always hear us talking about Costa Mesa stories because they're important to us. and It's also an FCC requirement that we report on them. But I love the fact that we have a local audience that goes anywhere. I could be in Colorado next week broadcasting from KLDC and the KLZ studios. And I know there'd be people who'd call in and say, hey, man, I feel like you're uh, you know, driving me home every afternoon. I think that's great. It's live. It's local. It's late breaking, as they say. But at the end of the day, let's remember that the, tech, the technology can be used for good or evil. It's kind of like in Scripture, there are two words for having that green-eyed monster that lives inside of you that says, I want what somebody else has. If they don't, you know, if they have it and I don't, then I don't want them to have it. That's, the two words are jealousy and envy. Now, in Scripture, if you look at envy, envy is always a green-eyed monster. Envy is envious. It's like a rust. It's like a mold or a mildew. You have something, and I want it. If I can't get it for myself, then I will make sure that you don't have it, and then that way I don't feel so bad about not having it either. That's envy. Jealousy, on the other hand, if you look at it in the Old Testament especially, we read passages like God is a jealous God and go, what do we do? Jealous. Well, that word jealousy, and jealous has the same root word as zeal, which just means passionate. God is jealous for us because he knows what's best for us and he knows what we really need, not just the things that we want. Thanking God for unanswered prayers is very biblical. If you ask for something that makes sense to you, but God says, no, 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 I want better for you and I got something better for you, the jealous God takes over and says, I'm giving you what you want. The news industry has been racked with people on both sides of the aisle who want to tell you what they want you to think. They want to tell you what you want to hear. They want you to keep coming back to their site and helping them make money. Brothers and sisters, I love the fact that we can have a conversation here that says, what does God want from us? What does God expect from us? Let's look to the pages of Scripture and see what it is God wants from us. That jealous God, I can tell you one thing. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be made whole and restored in that relationship with him. And he always wants what's best for you even if you don't fully understand it. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line.